I'm Joel. And I'm Pahan. Welcome to the Supernormal Podcast, where we're normalizing open conversations. The topics we discuss on this podcast may contain explicit content or be triggering in nature. I don't even make it off the hospital grounds. I'm, I'm that desperate and that unwell. I had to be like the multi-story car park of the hospital and hide behind some, some parked cars, cook up a shot of heroin and then slam that overdose once again, wake up in the, in the same ER, same doctor. That was twice in that day. And then for that, the rest of that week, those seven days there following, following me being exited from that rehab, I, I have nine overdoses. You're listening to part two of Finding Heroin. You said that you were traveling overseas as well. You do holidays and you'd go, I don't know if it was Indonesia, you'd go overseas, but I was thinking, how would you do that and still be using and, and that, that life, like how, how did they, how did that play into, into traveling? It was, it was tough, right? Having an addiction, having an addiction like that for me felt like a full-time job. But it was almost 24 hours a day. You know, it's like the only relief I really had was, was sleep. And then as soon as oh. I woke up, I, I, you know, I was, I was usually withdrawing, getting sick, needing, needing another dose. So it made it extremely difficult to go traveling. I, I did manage to go on, on a couple of different trips. I did a, a Europe trip and I did a trip to Thailand as well. So the way I managed it was I was, I was constantly trying to quit heroin, right? I, I tried many times at home and I tried detox centers, rehab, this kind of stuff. And one of the things that I used were, is called substitutional therapy. So I would get given a, a drug and there's two different ones. So there's Suboxone and there's methadone. And so these two drugs help you quit heroin. So they, they take away the withdrawals. You, you go into a chemist every day and you, you have your dose. And you, it's a supervised dose. So the chemist watches you take this, this dose in front of them. And that would keep the withdrawals at bay, stop me from, from getting sick and, and just kind of keep me baseline. That is Suboxone, right? That's, that's the newer of the two drugs. Methadone works in a similar way. The Suboxone doesn't get you high, right? It stops you getting sick, stops you getting withdrawals, keeps you, keeps you even, you don't get high. Methadone, on the other hand, can get you high. And it works in the same way as like it stops, stops me being sick, but it also gives me that euphoric, the euphoric feeling that I, that I wanted. It wasn't as good as heroin but it still did the job for me. It was harder for me to get put onto methadone. Methadone is quite outdated. So I, I once again, made up all these stories as to why I needed that, did my doctor shopping business and, and managed to get put on it. The consequence of being on methadone was that I wasn't able to travel. Was That's, that's actually what they told me, what the, the doctors and the board controlling all these drugs, I, I spoke to them directly about traveling and getting takeaway doses 
so I could go to a chemist in Perth, get a whole bunch, take them with me traveling, and then I'd, I'd be okay. They said no, because they were, I was high risk, so they thought I might just like put all my doses together, take that and get super high, and then overdose and kill myself. Also, the combination of methadone plus the benzos that I was taking is also, uh, can be very lethal. So all in all, they, they said, no, you can't go traveling. And I said, well, fuck you. I've got this trip to, to Europe plans <laughs> with my girlfriend, but I'm, I'm going to Europe. So six months prior, so we'd booked this trip. Six months prior, I started doing my research into all these countries. We were visiting maybe five different European countries and I had to track down the places that I could take methadone. I could go and get a dose that would uh, like private clinics, hospitals and this kind of thing. And so I was like emailing and calling these foreign countries that wouldn't respond in English and trying to like use Google Translate to send an email, or have like a phone conversation with them and request these drugs from, from them over there for particular dates and whatnot. It was fucking hard work, man. Like it was so much messing around. And we arrived in, in Europe. I was sick from, from the, because the flight had been so long and I hadn't had a dose. And the first thing we do when we land in Rome is spend like half the day trying to find this particular hospital for me to get my dose. I get to find the place, which is a nightmare, really hard to find, and then line up and get my dose just to get my dose to feel better so then I could get on with my day. My poor girlfriend at the time was just there with me. And yeah, that just continued for the, for the entire holiday. You know, just me traveling from one place to the other, trying to find the next dose. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. All right, Jolie. I feel like we've had this discussion in person about your story, but one thing maybe I didn't have the nerve to ask you about was overdosing. Have you ever overdosed? And if so, what did that look like? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's happened more times than I can remember the the first time the first time looked a little different to the other the other overdoses in my life so I was, I was still pretty young I was I was 21 or 22 it was New Year's Eve a bunch of us were at my house taking a drug called GHB which is a, a depressant and it's it slows down your breathing puts you in, into like a relaxed euphoric state somewhere kind of between being drunk and being high on on MDMA and it's it's one of those drugs you've got to be really careful with how much that you're taking so it was like measuring out it's a liquid so you're measuring out kind of one mil at a time or half a mil and so we're sitting around one of the rooms of my house carefully dosing our, ourselves but it was never it's never enough for me just to have a, a little bit with my friends. I, I always wanted to, to push things to the extremes and you know have, having a little bit of GHB or a little bit of Xanax or a couple of beers, you know, I just I was never interested in like I wanted to be totally fucked up off, off my face. So I had my own little stash of GHB in my in my bedroom. So every every now and then I would sneak off to my room and go and top up with a little bit more at the same time i'm taking a bunch of xanax as well so this 
already dangerous combination of mixing both Xanax and GHB. Plus, I'm doubling down on my doses of GHB, getting way more busted up than everyone else. And yeah, at, at some point in the night, I passed out. And my friends weren't able to to wake me back up, and they called me an ambulance. And I didn't wake up until yeah four, four or five p.m. the the next day. And you're you're not conscious of this at this stage no so the it's all a bit foggy but yeah the last thing i can really remember is just having having it sitting with my friends in that room having a dose and then it's suddenly the next the next evening and in in the hospital i i woke up laying on my back on a on a hospital bed and my my wrists and my ankles are cuffed to the bed and I've got a catheter in my dick as well I've got tubes and wires connected to my body at all different points and it, it one of the nurses approaches me when I when I start waking up and and she's she's pretty cold with me and and tells me that I was I was getting aggressive with with the staff and that's why I've been restrained and I remember this really scary moment where I must have woken up at some point before then, just, just for like a, a few moments. And I woke up and I had this, this huge tube in my mouth. And and I started panicking because I couldn't breathe and couldn't swallow. And 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 then they must have given me something and put me out again. Um but yeah, it was it was a real shock. Like when I when I did eventually come to and I was speaking to this nurse and found out that I'd been aggressive. It was it was a really horrible thing to hear. So I was scared, you know, for, for where I was, what I'd done in regards to the overdose, how dangerous that was. But then to hear that I was I was aggressive, which is or and violent, which is just not in my nature and something that I hadn't done before, that was that was just as much of a shock to me as well. And you said you so you said that you'd like to like you went and had a bit of a top up and that's how it always was you'd be you'd be you'd be on it with your friends or whatnot but you know you obviously wanted more but were you trying were you ever trying to od or did you know that that was there and that was like okay if i take too much i'm gonna overdose or was it just fuck it i'm just gonna do as much as i can because i can handle it 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 started off with the latter of me believing I my tolerance was higher than a lot of people's in in for a lot of drugs, uh, yeah. but then I also had this this belief that I could just handle more than anyone else, like this uh, belief that I was invincible to those kind of things. So I definitely didn't start off in in me intentionally trying to trying to do anything. Uh. Um, and so yeah, it was always when I when I say I'd go just go out on the weekend and and be taking taking pills or something with like taking MDMA with with friends it was never enough for me to have one or two pills like many people would you know I'd I'd have like a, a packet of 10 in my pocket or something like that and and smash through those and then we'd almost well I'd use it as like a, as a as a place to brag from you know like oh man I've had mm. 10 pills how many have you had and this this kind of mentality and uh it was it was really really damaging mm. and 
So that was the first time you did. And how many how many times do you reckon you overdosed? Man, to be honest, I I have no idea. When I started injecting heroin at age 24, mixing heroin alone is very dangerous. Like it only takes just that, yeah. that tiny little bit too much and and you overdose. But then for me to mix that with benzos, particularly Xanax, which is what I was I was fond of, that was uh, an almost lethal concoction every time and I'm doing this every day. And so the the overdoses just started to happen really, really frequently. I uh, I had a lot of shame about my use and I would use in isolation. And so I would often go to public toilets and shopping centers of like fast food restaurants and pubs or whatever it was. Maybe I'd go into the public restroom of, of a park I'd go just sit in the bushes, have a shot there. Maybe I was in my car and yeah, like a lot of times we'd, we'd have these shots and then wake up in hospital and I'd overdosed and there'd always been someone there to, to call an ambulance um, and, and keep me alive with, with CPR until, until the paramedics came. It got to the point where my girlfriend at the time and my mum put a GPS tracker in my phone. And so that meant at any any point they could see where I was. And so because it was happening so frequently, these overdoses, mm. they needed to know where I was so they could then call an ambulance and send it. So so for example, it was like, you know, I hadn't come home and it was really late at night and they were worried about me and they couldn't get a response out of me. They could look on this GPS app and then see where I was and more often than not I had had overdosed and they could send a a paramedic or an ambulance there yeah that's scary for them and people close to you at that time because what they don't speak to you for a few hours they're probably like fuck John might John might be in trouble (laughs) you know yeah I put put them through so much you know so much hurt Yeah. yeah and and you were saying so when you would when you were obviously using, did it get to a point where you're like, I probably shouldn't be doing it alone in case I overdose? Yeah, yeah, I, I had those those thoughts, but then the the shame overpowered that. Okay, yeah. So I I would I would use with other people. Usually, when I'd go to a dealer's house, and it was like a dealer who also used as well and then we'd, mm-hmm. we'd use use together but yeah most of the time like people don't want to hang out with people that are that are injecting if they're, if they're not a needle user themselves you know so i'd be i'd be hiding out and and using yeah it was it was out of control you know yeah i always think about the overdose scene in pop fiction and i remember watching it and obviously it's like entertaining and whatnot but just thinking about like you going through that, but you don't even know how many times you've been through that is insane. And yeah, especially for the people around you, that's, you know, waking up in a, in a hospital bed and not knowing what happened. That's, that's scary stuff. Yeah, it was, it was, and it was just, it was just happening. It was increasing the amount as, as the years went on, it was happening mm. more and more. 
frequently and I was using bigger and bigger amounts because my, my tolerance was growing and I was, I was just getting more, more reckless as well. And kind of touching on what you said before, you know, was I, was I of the belief that I could just use more than other people or I just didn't really give a shit. I, once I actually got healthy, I, I had a chat to uh, my, my psych and he was, he was asking me, you know, at any point where you, were you trying to kill yourself? Mm. And yeah, my response was, was no, I don't think so. It was more like I, I didn't, I just lost the will to live and I didn't really care whether I lived or died. Just the pain was the, the emotional pain that I, that I was feeling just from my everyday reality was so extreme that I was willing to do whatever it took to take that away. So that, if that meant increasing my doses more and more each day, then that was, that, that was what I was doing. And when it, I think of a particularly bad week that, that happened in, in those years. And it was, it was following a, a stint in, in rehab. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack a little here to kind of set the scene. I, I'd, I, I was really unwell using heavily and my, my girlfriend at the time and my mum put the pressure on for me to go to a rehab and, and, sort my shit out pretty much I wasn't ready to do it and I didn't really want to go but I thought it would it would get them off my back so I agreed to go to this rehab went to a went to like a, a mental health treatment center beforehand for a few weeks where everything was going well and then arrived in the rehab following that and I was so I was addicted to heroin and I was also addicted to benzos rather than take me off both heroin and benzos at the same time the plan was keep me on the benzos so keep dispensing those meds to me and then I'll get off the heroin I'll go through this rehab program and then I'll I'll go back and I'll do it all over again and then come off come off the benzos so I'm in the rehab getting getting prescribed these these pills and I actually manipulated the nurse in the rehab to dispense a whole bunch of these pills to me. She gave me 15 or 30 of the, these pills. And I took a, I took a whole bunch of them when, when she gave them to me. Inhibitions are, are lowered. I don't really want to be there. I'm not taking the program seriously. So I organized for drugs to get delivered to the rehab and and it's it's no easy feat like this this rehab is hours away from perth out in in regional regional wa and i get a bag of heroin and a bag of methamphetamine delivered there to the to the rehab yeah, yeah. So I, I, I sneak out of the rehab at night with one of the other patients who I I actually got the, the, the meth for him. He wasn't a heroin user. He wanted the meth. I kind of wanted somebody else to go with me so I didn't, you know, so it kind of enable what I was doing so I didn't feel so so guilty about it. Mm -hmm. so, so he comes along with me to the, we meet these dealers in the middle of the night 
I I have a shot of heroin. I haven't used heroin in in a good couple of months or so. My tolerance is is gone pretty much. I have a shot that I think is safe, and immediately I I overdose. the The next day, I I wake up in hospital, and I'm in this suicide watch uh, room. So it's like a a glass walled room inside the ER so all the doctors and nurses can see you at all times because I, I was high risk and they thought I was I was trying to kill myself anyways from, from there I managed to get myself back to the rehab and when I arrive I see I see my friend in in the rehab who's who's another patient and his his eyes are pinned, which is when it's when your pupils are really tiny. It's like a it's an indicator of of being high on on heroin. On heroin, yeah. And and I I was I said, mate, like where where are my fucking drugs? You know, I'm, I'm still still pretty high and like angry. I just I just want to I just want the rest of them. And and he denies that he he took them. And I knew he was I knew he was bullshitting me, right? Anyways, there wasn't a whole lot I could do about it. So I kept checking on him throughout the night. Like we, we were, how the rehab works, we each had our own bungalow. And so I I checked on him every every hour or so. I'd go kind of press my ear to the window and just hear him laughing and watching TV. And I just wanted to make sure he was okay because I knew he wasn't, he wasn't a heroin user and I thought maybe he had overdone it. Anyways, I eventually go to sleep pretty late at night and then wake up in the morning to the sound of the 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 paddles going so the the support staff are in his room and they've got the you know the jump start shock advised clear kind of business going on and they're trying to resuscitate him and they they were doing that for about 45 minutes or an hour and i was like absolutely horrified and i just sat in my my bungalow and just stared out the the window because like his bungalow was a, was a not far from mine, and I could see them. There was like three or four support support staff in there, like on his bed, just trying to trying to revive him. And to be to be given CPR for that long, you don't have a, a high chance of of coming back the the way or coming back at all, or coming back without any permanent or serious brain damage. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the the ambulance comes and and takes him away, and all we know is that he was unconscious when he was taken, and we don't get any more information. So I'm 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 really shaken up here. I'm I'm, I'm traumatized by this. It, it was it was terrifying to to watch, and I was I was feeling so much guilt and and, and shame. Because it was my drugs that he that he that he took. Anyways, that same day I was in the the main the main off the main building of the rehab. The staff room is connected to that, and I overheard the the nurse that had given me all those meds. I overheard her on the phone to her superior, and she said it was it's all Joel's fault. Joel got the drugs delivered here. Joel manipulated me into to getting all those pills and 
and it continued like that. And that's, you know, I heard it's, I heard it's my fault. And then I, I took that on as, as though I was solely to blame for all of this happening, which was really fucking hard, you know, mm. and I was not in a good, not in a good headspace here. And they, they were exiting me from the program that, that afternoon because of my, my behavior there. And so it gets to that afternoon. I, I you know, I have my suitcase. I, I get out of there, hop on the bus back to Perth. And as soon as I arrive in Perth, pick up a bag of heroin and a bag of meth. The reason I, I, I also buy the meth with the heroin is because of that overdose I've just had. So uh, a method I would I would use when when I wasn't sure about the purity of of the heroin I was buying, if I was if I was a bit worried that it was super strong, and I was scared that I might overdose, I'd have a shot of meth first, and that would spark me up and give me all this this energy, and then I'd have a shot of heroin, and it was like it was less likely that I was going to drop into an overdose then. So that was my that was my rationale, right? Anyways, I was that upset that I just picked up these bags and I, I, I thought, fuck it, I'm not even gonna shoot the meth. I'll have the meth after, which doesn't make any sense given my <laughs> how I kind of rationalized it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, if I start overdosing, I'll I'll have a few seconds and I'll be able to just do up another shot. I'll have a shot of meth and boom. Yeah. Thought I was like yeah. this mad scientist. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like you are a bit. <laughs> at that point <laughs> so by this point you know i was saying before i you know i'd shoot in public toilets and and that kind of thing uh i would hide away and have have my shot all this kind of like real gritty gritty grimy kind of stuff by now mm. I, was, I was that in that much pain about what i'd seen my friend go through and, and I, I felt so low about myself because i thought it was i thought i'd i thought i'd killed him you know mm-hmm. I just couldn't give a shit about where I was shooting or what people thought. So I went to this, this, I, like I picked up, picked up the bags of drugs, went to this shopping complex. It was nighttime. It was a place where I had a chemist so I could buy needles from. So I bought the needles and then just sat out the front of this chemist and there's the IGA next door. And there's still people walking around and stuff with my, with my suitcase from, from rehab right just next to me on on the curb and then i'm just cooking up a shot of heroin yeah it was like a one of those real real low moments for me shoot the heroin boom overdose wake up and there's two paramedics that are like you know they've cut my shirt open and They've, they've paddled me back to life and given me a uh, reversal drug and that kind of thing for, for the heroin to keep me alive. And they're, they're two, the, the paramedics are two women about my age at the time. One of them can't stand me straight away. Must get a bad, bad feeling yeah. from me. She doesn't have any patience for me and, and, and that kind of thing. The other one seems to take a bit of a shine to me and, and, at least feels sorry for me. So the one that's more friendly to me 
holds up these two bags, the, the bag of heroin and the bag of meth. And she's like, I found these in your pocket. i got to take them off you. And so I wait till the, the other paramedics kind of fiddling with something in, in, the, in the ambulance. And then I lay on the, the sob story to, to this paramedic. And I'm like, you know, that's, they're not even my drugs. I'm going to get bashed if, if I don't give them back to these boys and all this, all this kind of bullshit that I tell her. And eventually she, she slips the bags back into my pocket. And I, I'm in the back of the ambulance. I get taken to the hospital and I think I, I pass out in the hospital. The next morning I, I wake up and I'm, I'm really sick. So the, the, the drugs they, they gave me or they, they give you when you have a heroin overdose, they boot all the heroin off your receptors. So you just, you're thrown into this immediate withdrawal. Fucking mm -hmm. horrible feeling, fucking horrible. Anyways, I, I'm awake in the morning and all I want to do is just get out of the hospital so I can go and have another shot of heroin and feel better and take the pain away. So the, the doctor says to me, we'll discharge you when you're looking uh, more alert, more awake. How's about you go and have a, have a shower in the ER and see if you can you know, like wake yourself up a bit. Yeah. So I say, yeah, no, no worries. I, I head to the shower and in my pocket, I've got the, the bag of meth and, and a needle. So I, I chuck the, the shower on just for the, uh, you know, in case anybody's listening and then shoot some meth, boom. I'm wired, I'm awake, I'm alert, walk back out. Doctor says, well, Joe, you're looking, you're looking a, a lot better, a lot more energized and discharges me from the hospital. From there, I don't even make it off the hosp hospital grounds. I'm, I'm that desperate and that unwell. I head to the like the multi-story car park of the hospital and hide behind some some parked cars, cook up a shot of heroin, and then slam that overdose once again. Wake up in the in the same ER, same doctor. That was twice in that in that in that day, 24 hours. And then for that. The rest of that week, those seven days there following following me being exited from that rehab, I, I have nine overdoses. Yeah. When was the last, when was the final straw that you're like, you know what? I need to do something about this. Because otherwise that that behavior would have just kept going. You would have kept going to rehab or kept going to hospital and ODing. What was the final straw? Things, things were pretty dark before I went to that rehab that I was just speaking about. Mm -hmm. However, when I was exited from it and I had those the string of overdoses there in that week, not long afterwards, I was shacked up with a mate in a, in a backpackers in Perth, one of the only ones that, that hadn't banned me. And I was really disconnected from, from my friends and, and, and family. And it just felt like the, the only person that I had 
in my life it was my my friend that I was I was living with here he was actually one of the patients in the rehab where all that shit had gone down I think they mm-hmm. actually they they temporarily shut the rehab down because of those those two incidents the two overdoses so him and I were living together in this backpackers I was using heroin heavily he was using meth heavily and when I was sick and withdrawing and couldn't afford heroin he would he would be looking after me he'd be bringing me little bits of food you know when I was stuck in bed and and we were both doing it pretty tough for money living on on government checks and and stealing food and just finding other ways to to, to get money you know we'd buy a six pack of ciders and, and drink those just to try and take the edge off and he he ended up taking his own life not too long after that which was which was really I, I took that that pretty bad it was it was as though he was the only person that hadn't hadn't cut me off or pushed me away or, or wanted it or, or that I hadn't pushed away myself especially when you're kind of in it together I guess and you're living together and you're going through this very similar situation that's Mate, it's tough. A couple of days after that, my dad, who was who was living in in the UK, he he suddenly died from a a rare cancer. Like it happened so quickly. Mo and I had had heard that he was unwell, that he was in a hospital, didn't really know what was going on, and we, and and she booked a flight for us both to go over there and see him and then he died before we could get on the flight and so losing my friend and losing my dad within within a couple of days of each other was yeah in- incredibly incredibly painful one of the one of the darkest weeks of my life and it was it was there that that I felt like I had two options, two very clear options that I that I could take. One of them was continuing down the same route that I was on in this victim mentality, wallowing in self-pity and, and, and pain, blaming everything and everyone else and continuing to use more than I had ever done, most likely killing myself in, in the process. The other option was to to try something, try something different and take my recovery seriously. And so I reached out to a, a rehab in, in Perth called Palmerston. And they wanted to, they, they'd heard about what had happened in, in the rehab that I was in prior. And they were worried that it would happen again. So they they wanted to see some engagement from me for quite some time before they'd allow me into the program so they asked me to attend a a weekly meeting get there on time every week and kind of show that I was serious about getting better and so it took about six or seven months before I was able to attend enough enough groups in a row and ended up making my way into the rehab and that was that was where I I got healthy 
and I spent a fair bit of time in there, about seven months or so in in that center and really turned my life around. Yeah, and that's that's obviously horrible that your mate had had passed away in, in the way he did and and then your father as well. But it's 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 funny how those two tragic things probably pushed you and allowed you to to get to the place that you were in to recover, right? Perhaps I'd still be in it or I wouldn't be here mm. if, if that mm-hmm. hadn't happened. Yeah. My my dad didn't know about my my life, my struggles until quite late mm-hmm. in his life. So it was a secret in in our family. Mum and I kept it from him. Mum and I were living here or living in Perth and Dad was living in England. Kept it from him for years. And so whenever I'd chat to him, my life didn't really make sense because it was like I'm I'm an addict and and he'd be asking mm. like what I'm doing with my life and and I'd I'd just be trying to dodge answers and that kind of thing. In his last year of of life, mum finally had too much and, and couldn't handle keeping this all to herself. So she she ended up telling him and and he was gutted, you know, and that that was that was tough and us to put a lot of strain on our relationship. And for him to die while while I was still heavily in it when 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 he did die i all i wanted to do was was finally make him proud and that was a big incentive for me to stop so what was the journey like completing rehab and getting out of that 7 month stint in there to where i met you 9 months ago as a yoga instructor the surfer and this um this man I met in Byron. What what happened in that time? A lot happens. There are there are a lot of big changes really. So completing or graduating rehab, coming out of there, I had done a lot of work on myself and I, I was still continuing to, to do work and I, I didn't really know where, where I fitted in. Because for so long I'd identified as 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 addict and and dealer, and then in that in rehab I was identifying as recovering addict, you know, and so I came out of came out of rehab, and was still kind of caught up in that identity, and it felt like whenever I I I met somebody, there was an elephant in the room. And it was my my prior addiction. And I felt like this insecurity, like I needed to, to tell everybody as soon as I met them, like, hi, I'm Joel, I'm an ex-heroin addict. And it was hard for me to shake that. And I was going to I was going to 12-step meetings, so Narcotics Anonymous. And in there when you when you walk into the room you're asked to identify as an addict or a recovering addict. And I really, something didn't feel right about doing that for me because it felt like I was, I was putting myself in, in a box. And then even some of the language in there was people in there would call others that don't have addictions or haven't had addictions. They would call them normies. But I, 
I don't think it's very helpful because then it kind of creates a a separation of like a them and us kind of situa mm. situation happening there. And and after a little while of going to these these meetings, I started to pull away from them. And I and the questions I was asking myself was is who is Joel without this addiction? And and what happens if I if I if I'm just Joel? You know, and that was a scary concept, actually walking away from those groups, because to me, it felt like everybody in there was, were, were all the addicts in the world, all the recovery yeah. addicts in the world. And, and, you, saw, and you probably felt, you probably felt like you belonged, you know, into, into this certain group of, of people that were going through the same thing. So leaving would be like, okay, well. I got to I got to deal with this by myself now as well. I did feel like I I belonged, and it was really nice to have that that shared experience with people, and and I I could create a connection in there quite easily with these people because we've all we all understand one another. But yeah, stepping away from that was was quite scary, and I, I didn't really know my place or who I wanted to hang out with. And I think that's almost what led me towards yoga and surfing so i was i moved to scarborough which is a, a beach suburb in perth and i i felt a little out of place there and so i began i was really i was interested in surfing so i started surfing and immediately fell in love with it and then started meeting other surfers there and then I, it felt as though I was beginning to create a community around me of other people that were interested in in surfing and and in health and and this kind of stuff, which was really cool. And I thought, okay, I, I can I can make friends and and meaningful connections outside of Narcotics Anonymous. And then when I had a a surfing injury, I was out of the water for for a few months. And the only exercise I could really do was was yoga, quite limited yoga. And so that's that's when I started my my yoga practice, and pretty quickly fell in love with that too. In Scarborough, the yoga community is is quite big, mm. and it's quite tight knit as well. And then before long, I, I fell in just fell in with a group of or friends there who were surfers or people that enjoyed practicing yoga or were just on this kind of path of of uh, self-development and and really valued health and, and wellness and yeah and I just started finding my people and and that was a that was really important for me so at first I was I was, I was still, so when I started surfing and doing yoga, I was still, I think I was like a beer rep. So I was going around to, to bottle shops and like handing out free beers and this kind of thing. Um, but it, it felt quite polarizing because I'm doing, I'm living this healthy lifestyle or relatively healthy lifestyle. And then I'm also slinging beers off on the side. You'd be good at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had the uh, doctor's shopping on your resume, so I mean, <laughs> you'd, be plus, a, you'd be a great salesman. 
plus years of just dealing drugs as well. That that uh, yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, I pulled away from the uh from the, the beer repping and then I was a bartender and that kind of thing. And decided that I I wanted to to teach yoga, and it was really important to me. And I was noticing some some pretty serious benefits from it. So I did a a yoga teacher training, which was incredible, and and it involved like a, a pretty uh, in depth process of 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 looking at yourself and limiting beliefs and all all this kind of stuff, which I was I was really interested in. I was reading personal development books and I I'm really passionate about connection and I feel as though that was was fundamental in my in my recovery was was creating healthy connections in my life and so that pushed me towards or gave me the the idea to begin running authentic connection workshops in Scarborough so so it was about two or three hours long I'd set up some tickets and people would come along and we'd we'd do kind of some sharing at the start and I'd ask them a couple of questions we'd do a little bit of yoga and we'd do some eye gazing and and meditation and just there's a couple of opportunities to share in there and it was that was really beautiful and you know I was was just meeting some some great people that were once again interested in in their health and mental health and whatnot. So I was really passionate about that for, for a while. And was having a great time in Scarborough. And just it felt like I I knew so many people there. I could kind of wander down to the to my local cafe and would bump into a whole bunch of people. And I, I love that sense of of belonging somewhere. And so Scarborough's mm-hmm. got an incredibly special place in my heart. I, I can't wait to get back over there and and, and visit actually. Uh, after a little while, I was I was running those those workshops and teaching yoga. I forgot to say I was also running smart recovery groups in Perth as well, mm-hmm. which uh, which I spoke about earlier. These these CBT groups for people with addictions, and so I, I began that by volunteering in the rehab when I was a patient. I was I was volunteering and doing experience, and once I completed the program, they actually began paying me for it and, and the rehab hired me and it was a beautiful moment of like a, a full circle moment you know from, mm. from a, a patient of the rehab to now running these groups and, and giving back and I love that feeling of of uh, providing service to others and it really felt like what that's what I'm here to do and that's how these connection workshops and how teaching yoga they, they kind of gave me that that same feeling so I knew mm-hmm. I want to do more of this. Then after a little while in Scarborough, I just had this feeling like I wanted to try something different and and get out of my comfort zone. And something about Byron just really, really attracted me. And I mean, there's a strong yoga community here and the surf is really good. And I just thought those two things combined, there's going to be a lot of people that I and connect with there as well it seems like people were interested in 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 um, personal development and, and this kind of stuff so i ended up jumping in my car driving across the nullarbor didn't didn't know anybody here 
just came over and got invited to to live in a house and it all just kind of flowed and, and came together really really easily and I, I just feel extremely grateful and fortunate that it happened because at the time it was it was quite difficult to find a place in Byron and yeah it just it just got handed to me on a platter and I thought I'm just mm. going to take this opportunity my friends back in Scarborough didn't believe me when I told them you know I was like yeah guys I'm moving to Byron in, in three weeks I think that was all the notice I gave them and they're like yeah man yeah for sure <laughs> I was like nah seriously like I'm <laughs> I'm off and they, were, and they said well you'll never leave Scarborough you know yeah and then I mean here I am came here yeah. fell in love with the place the, the surf uh lifestyle and it, it feels it's it's got some similarities to Scarborough like there's there's people exercising and staying fit and doing yoga and surfing and, and that kind of stuff and I just can't get enough of it there's just something about something about the energy of that town right like it obviously has its it obviously has its beauty some of the most beautiful beaches in Australia but there's there is there is an energy there that's almost healing when I first went there I was only supposed to be there for three days and I ended up staying like moving everything there my whole life there it there's there's there is definitely something there and it's it's beautiful and people people are going through something or at any stage of of just it could be a new beginning it could be an end of a end of a chapter it could be at any stage of life that you need need community and and a bit of that healing it's just a beautiful place to do it so i feel you on that one yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny because people would call Scarborough's got a similar feel to Byron in the, in the sense that it's like its own community and it's a little bit mm. out of Perth. It's on the beach, so it's it's a it's a little bit out of the way. So people would would say, "Oh, you're in the Scarborough bubble," because you could mm. I would I would kind of stay there for, for days at a time, wouldn't wouldn't need to leave for anything, and. Yeah, it's a similar experience in Byron as well. It's like I'm, I'm in the bubble, like here, here I am. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's, it's, a, it's, it's beautiful, man. It's like it's warm, it's sunny. People are kind. Like you were saying, it feels like people, a lot of people are here to do some some healing of some sort, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. And following on from what I was saying before, when I moved over here, I, I didn't know anyone and I, I didn't have any work or anything like that lined up. And just so I started to a- approach yoga studios around town and got a couple of gigs doing that. Just had, I started off at a backpackers and then a resort and then started teaching covers at some of the studios. And also reached out to some rehabs uh, and, and got a hit on one of them. And it's a incredible place to work. And it's like, it's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. So in Perth, I was working for a, for a Palmerston, which is that they're doing free services for people and coming over here, the rehab I was working in is, or I am, I am still working in is a luxury, luxury rehab. And it's really cool to kind of be, to be able to work on, on, on both ends but once again mm. i'm really really happy to be doing it i just feel so fulfilled when i'm 
when I'm doing that kind of work. Yeah, I love doing it. And then I've just begun my, my study as well, my diploma of alcohol and other drugs. So in, in a year, I'll be a certified drug and alcohol counsellor and can do a few other roles as well, which is really cool. And then been speaking on these podcasts and also about Christmas time of last year, I started writing my book about my life as well, which I'm really passionate and excited about. Can't wait to read that book. When's it? When do you think it's going to come out? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna push you a bit on this book. We're gonna make sure that it's it's sooner than later. But mate, that honestly, what you just said it it has come full circle, hasn't it? You were in rehab, and now you're working in a rehab, helping other people, and that's mate, that's so beautiful. And your story is. It's something that is. I'm so grateful to be able to hear. I'm so grateful that we've been able to to do this project and and for other people to hear it. I think it's something that's going to help a lot of people. And yeah, just want to say thank you from from me for sharing this and for for holding the space to do so. Um, yeah, it's very very humbling. Thanks so much, Pete. And same to you. I'm so excited to be doing to be making this, this project with you and and I, I think you're an incredible interviewer as well you're asking some, some some great questions and I was able to get really deep and I'm just really really humbled to be doing this with you so, so thanks again love you love you too mate if this podcast has been triggering for you or perhaps you're struggling with an addiction yourself or know somebody that is please seek professional support you're not alone.